to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. It's weekly roundup number 11, August 29, 2021. We've got plenty of news, so let's get into it. Our first segment here, we wanted to start off talking about some of the news out of Afghanistan. Evacuations have actually kind of uh, have a new sense of urgency after a bombing took place on Thursday. And this is coming out of a report from Friday. Looks like the uh, Taliban did a bombing that killed about 100 people. Uh, looks like about 95 Afghans and 13 troops were uh, a part of the bombing that were killed. Uh, Afghan and U.S. officials said this is the deadliest day for American forces in Afghanistan since August 2011, Devin. So um, definitely a lot of pressure to get our troops out of Afghanistan right now. Um, on to some other news, listeners, a little bit more upbeat here. Um, we did a segment on HBCUs for HBCU awareness uh, this past March, and it's really nice, Devin, to see the fact that HBCUs are finally getting a little bit of due diligence. You know, over the 80s and the 90s, you know, you know, shows like The Cosby Show and Different World really helped to uh, promote HBCUs and get them to be more of a household name within the black community. And fast forward to today, you've got a lot of big names like Vice President Kamala Harris, who went to HBCU Howard, um, first female uh, vice president of color, um, really have added a lot of fuel to the inspiration behind HBCUs. Not to mention the fact, Devin, we talked about some of the other uh, factors that have led to their enrollment as well as in, uh, increasing in their endowments. And that's the rise of people realizing that black excellence is awesome. You know, uh, I tell some people it's a great time to be black here in America because it seems like people are really starting to realize our injustices. So uh, nice to kind of see that, Devin. Yeah, I mean, that's that was the goal. You know, we did our whole HBCU awareness series for that reason, <laughs> you know, to hopefully see that there would be some fruit. Not saying we're behind this, but that was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wish we could take credit for it. But tell me, no, no, it. it's it's great to see that that is, uh, you know, more people, you know, paying more attention to what's happening at HBCUs. And so um, we'll go from there. So we'll go from HBC world up to Wisconsin. Uh, where there is a school district here, it's called Waukesha School District um, in Wisconsin. And the Waukesha School Board in particular has opted out of a federal program which is giving all students free lunch this year. So every eligible school district in the state is currently providing all students free meals, but not in Waukesha. And this is according to the Washington Post. And so administrators had opted into the fund the federally funded program last year which offered free school lunches for all students. But the Waukesha School District claims that this year there is a lower demand for the program. And one of the board members, uh, Karen uh, Rajnasek, said that the free program made it easy for families to, be quote, become spoiled. And she said, as we get back to whatever you want to believe normal means, we have decisions to make. Uh, she said, I would say this is part of normalization. And so the school district said, when you compare last summer's number of meals served to the current summer's level of participation, it is down 40 percent. And so this has led to a significant amount <clears throat> of uneaten food and meal related materials ending up in the trash. So I don't know, Adrian, I had saw this on Twitter. I think there were a lot of people who, you know, saw the words free lunch and opt out together and didn't understand what was really happening. And then saying that, you know, some of these kids may become spoiled 
Um, you know, we, I was said it before the show. I don't know who gets spoiled off a of free lunch at school. It's not like it's gourmet, you know, Italian food or something that they're getting. Um, obviously, there isn't a demand for it. So in that sense, I get it. But I think poor choice of words there saying that people will become spoiled over a free lunch. Yeah, I think so. And, I'm, and I get where they're coming from with there being a lower need. And it, it kind of is like um, thinking about the stimulus checks, how, you know, it kind of leveled out the higher money you made versus the school program. Everybody, no matter how much money you make, they get free lunch. So I get how they're looking at it. But I think the uh, the, the way they're going about it is probably wrong. I, I think, you know, just give kids food, you know, make sure they've got a healthy meal. Um, on to some, uh, another story here. This is out of Colorado and it's very interesting because when you think about Colorado, it's a pretty, uh, progressive, uh, state. So you would think that they wouldn't have, you know, things like this, but, uh, this is a volleyball coach at a Christian campus in Colorado claimed this week that he lost his job after officials at Valor Christian High School learned of his sexual orientation. He contends he had success. He had a, con- he contends he had a successful season as coach of the boys volleyball team, uh, but um, unfortunate position you know was lost to him, and he was then offered the position to coach the girls team uh, the following year. Uh, according to Tonga, he met with the school's campus pastor and athletic director and was asked if he had posted anything on social media that was inappropriate. He was then asked if he had written something about being gay, which he affirmed without hesitation, saying he frequently advocates for fellow members of the LGBTQ community, especially those struggling with their relationship with God. Uh, Tonga says he was told parents pay too much money to have their kids to be coached and taught by someone like you who identifies as a gay man. He also heard that considering how much love you have for these kids, I don't think you are even gay. Uh, you just need some direction to reach the goal of becoming a child of God. Um, really, really interesting kind of things here. It's almost like, um, you know, those little camps, uh, internment camps or something like that, where they're trying to, um, get you to not be gay or whatever. Um, but it's, it's some interesting stuff, Devin, um, because you would just think that, which I get, you know, being a Christian high school, which, you know, that kind of explains a little bit more. But, you know, I always think about, you know, because I was a youth pastor and, you know, still, you know, uh, Christian, um, you know, God teaches you free will. He teaches you love, acceptance, forgiveness, tolerance. I mean, um, the, within the New Testament, you know, Jesus, of course, didn't talk a whole lot about homosexuality. And, you know, I think Apostle Paul did a little bit and, and maybe in First Timothy, but there's not a whole lot of talk because it's more about um, just being a good steward of God's word versus, you know, trying to persecute people. But um, here you have a, a high school just kind of following those footsteps, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, like you say, you you, you think we would be past conversations like this, you know, telling a man parents pay too much money to have their kids coached and taught by someone like you as if, you know, he's like this pedophile criminal horrible person he's just a gay man like it's just he had a good season That's yeah cool. who had a good season and was gonna and they offered him the position of girls team you know the he was gonna be the coach of the girls team too so obviously they thought he was good but you know it's just it's just pitiful and and he's not the only one there was another coach that had come out she's a former coach there um she said she was forced to resign also 
because she was gay. She was a lesbian and they forced her to resign as head, you know, head women's lacrosse coach. So they have a pattern, you know, of, of kind of weeding out people when they find out. And so I just thought, you know, in 2021, we need to move past this. Like the thing is, had the school not made this an issue and pressed it and made him come out and resign, nobody would have known, <laughs> which is the crazy thing. Everybody would just be like, oh, he's just a great coach. And nobody would have cared what he did in his private life. And like I say, it's not like he's doing anything wrong. He's just a gay man. You know, it reminds me, um, I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, um, I was, I was for, it was for a Methodist church. And I was actually asked that question uh, on the panel. And this was when I was in high school. It was, it was very funny. Um, Cause honestly, I had no, I had no clue they even knew, but there was this, there was this loud mouth, you know, guy at the uh, school that I guess blabbed too much about some of our private conversations. But I remember before they hired me, that was one of the things they had asked me is like, you know, is this kind of stuff true? And it just reminds me, I mean, you know, that was 2010, maybe 2009. So it was like 10 years ago. And here we are still, <laughs> uh, still like that. And this was Mississippi versus Colorado. You would think that they would be a lot better, especially 10 years forward. But um, no, these same stories happen everywhere. Yeah, it's just, it's just sad. We need to move on, man. Stop. It just, it's, he's not hurting anybody. Just, it's not that big of an issue, but I, we've turned it into a religious issue. So people are going to stick to it. Um, but our next story here, we're going to go to Louisiana, who's now embracing, uh, for another horrific hurricane on the way. 16 years after Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, Louisiana. Even last year, they had a Category 5 uh, Hurricane Laura hit, and now they're bracing for Hurricane Ida, who's got her eyes on the Louisiana coast. Uh, Right now, the National Hurricane Center has predicted that Hurricane Ida, which is currently a Category 1 with winds of about 80 miles per hour, they're predicting that Hurricane Ida is going to strengthen into a Category 4 hurricane with winds of 140 miles per hour before making landfall in Louisiana. Uh, Luckily, New Orleans is not going to take a direct hit, uh, but they are going to be grazed by the storm. They don't have enough time to order a mandatory evacuation. So the mayor is telling people to just really hunker down, you know, and trying to get out if you can. But they're not doing a mandatory evacuation. Uh, And like I say, the storm is expected to make landfall on Sunday as a category three or four. Um, It is expected to go to the west of New Orleans and probably go directly over uh, Baton Rouge. But just a sad situation. Uh, again, like I say, Category 5 hurricane last year, looking at a possible Category 3, Category 4 uh, on the Louisiana coast again. on the, And 16 years, you know, to the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. So just devastating news out of Louisiana. Yeah, Devin, absolutely. Um, I It's one of those situations where I... Like, cause I had a granddad who, who lived in Miami. He hasn't lived there anymore cause he moved cause of cancer. But, um, I could just remember when he lived in Miami, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to ever live there cause hurricanes and like every year you have to prepare and think about it. And some people are like, well, you just get used to it. But I'm like, how do you just get used to category four hurricanes or whatever? And that's not <laughs> to like make it comical or anything. I'm just like, I don't know how you get used to that. 
you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't get used to that kind you, of stuff. But um, you, you don't. But yeah, on to some other news. Speaking of things that you don't get used to, um, you don't get used to you know people being shot up in their church. Uh, and, and and we're getting, um, I guess, to the the climax of the the shooting that happened in 2015 at the uh, South Carolina Black Church. Um, but um, a lot of people probably don't really know much about what was going on with this story. But Dylan Roof was the guy that you know shot all the the patrons of the church, uh, the African American Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and he was going through some appeals, listeners. But on Wednesday, a federal court upheld the death sentence for Dylan um, because of what, you know, because of what he did. You know, he was 21 at the time. Now he's 27. Uh, the court basically said no cold record or careful parsings of statutes and precedents can capture the full horror of what Ruth did. His crimes qualify him for the harshest penalty that a just society can impose. Um, his appeal, uh, well, during the appeal, um, Roof, you know, that's the guy who, you know, did the shooting, um, challenged his competency to stand trial because he actually, uh, Devin, um, I think he represented himself during, uh, the sentencing hearing, which a lot of his lawyers now are saying that, you know, he wasn't capable or competent to do that. They think that this trial should go back based on his competence. Um, but, you know, the court kind of threw that out, um, and saying, you know, that I think he even said that he, um, thought that he was going to be rescued by white nationalists. So he just didn't want to even um, plead mental competence uh, as, as a, as a thing there. But um, you know, I'm not one that, you know, thinks that anybody should die or, you know, anything. I mean, yeah, yeah we talked in the first episode that people are going to have to die to eradicate racism, but um, I, I definitely feel that, you know, you definitely get what you deserve when you just, when when churchgoers welcome you into their church of worship and you kill them, um, you know this is probably what happens. Yeah, I mean he's getting what he deserves, so rightly so. I'm glad they, you know, declined his appeal and up, upheld his sentence. Um, again, I'm not a huge proponent of the death sentence, but if we're going to use it, someone like Dylan Ruth and what he did—that is what it's for—for for folks who commit atrocities like that. So. <clears throat> he's getting what he uh getting what he rightfully deserves. So uh just to wrap up our last uh wrap up the segment here, our last story here <clears throat> coming out of Washington about the it's gonna be about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So Democrats in the US House of Representatives have passed the John Lewis Voting Rights Act on Tuesday. Uh the bill would strengthen the Voting Rights Act of nineteen sixty five and make it more difficult for states to pass restricting restrictive voting uh, laws. And so the legislation uh, passes uh, as Republicans in nearly every single state, including mine of Texas, um, are currently passing and have passed uh, new uh, election laws. And so the bill is known as H.R. 4. It would restore and strengthen parts of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, which have been weakened by the the, uh, Supreme Court. And so it now goes to the Senate. Well, we always know that that's where good legislation goes to die. It would need 10 GOP uh, votes for it to pass the Senate. It's not likely. But, of course, if anything happens, we will, of course, keep you updated with that, uh, with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And so that's going to do it for our first segment of news. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here. Um, this is an interesting story. I, I'm a gamer, Devin, but I never played Fortnite just because it's it's like Minecraft and you got to know how to build stuff and do a lot of shooting like Call of Duty and stuff. But they're doing some cool things where they're actually partnering with Time Studios and they're going to be giving their gamers a new virtual experience where they're going to be getting to see Dr. King's I Have a Dream uh, speech. The experience called March Through Time teleports players through a reimagined Washington, D.C. in 1963, where King delivers his march on Washington. Throughout the game, players would travel to the Lincoln Memorial and the National Mall, where King gave his famous speech. The activities featured in the game will progress players through the experiences while bringing to life important themes of the speech. The new feature has received some negative reaction across social media. Some people were that King will be remembered to young gamers as a Fortnite guy and not an activist. Um, interesting story, I would say. I mean, I think it's it reminds me of whenever I had a discussion with one of my, I guess, one of our fraternity brothers, Devon, where we were talking about the cartoon show on uh, uh, on, uh, on Cartoon Central, Black Jesus, and how it kind of talked negatively about, you know, Jesus, obviously, because it wasn't really perpetuating a lot of good things. And he was just like, you can't think of it like that. You got to look at it like anything that's promoting Christianity is a good thing. So I guess anything that's promoting Dr. King um, should be a good thing. I don't think he'll be remembered as a Fortnite guy. He should still be remembered as an activist. Well, I mean, if the kids end up thinking that he's, you know, some guy from Fortnite, then they're education system has failed us so, <laughs> <laughs> jury's still out i'm not going to kill it just yet it sounds cool um so we'll see exactly if they do it in good taste and if it's, it is you know something where they can actually learn something about uh mlk and not just a check in the box so we can look like we're trying to be you know diverse <laughs> in gaming <laughs> but we'll we'll see the jury's jury is out on that so we'll see when it actually come out what it looks like. Uh, so our next story here, uh, we brought it to you last week, but only fans last week announced that they were going to be banning sexually explicit content. Well, what a difference a week makes because now uh, after creators, and there was a lot of public outrage and confusion over banning this type of content, given that sex workers largely help build only fans, they are only fans. And so it looks like they have kind of reverse course. They've suspended uh, their October 1st ban of sexually explicit content. And they put a tweet up on Twitter saying, quote, thank you to everyone for making your voices heard. We have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creative community and have suspended the October 1st policy change. And so uh, only they said also quote that only fans stands for inclusion and we will continue to provide a home for all creators End quote. And so, the flip-flopping, you know, and this uncertainty has really kind of hurt their reputation uh, in both the eyes of creators and users. Nobody really knows what to think of OnlyFans at this point. Um, and so after years of kind of pushing sexually explicit content or being known for that, rather, um, there may be some competitors out there who may think this is the time to strike. 
when OnlyFans seems to not really have its, you know, a plan together as far as what they want to be as far as a platform. So we'll keep you updated if anything else comes about. But as of right now, sexual explicit content will continue to be okay on OnlyFans. Yeah, I think um, after they uh, had the uproar and the fact that a lot of their money is made, you know, I think it was what five billion that they've made. Uh, yeah, they probably were going to go back on that. Um, another interesting story. Um, and this is why I don't ever. I mean, I would never use the word, but you know, this is why I don't really like using. But it's it's interesting whenever you you know see somebody else that's of color using this sort of word, listeners. But it's about a black you know Florida officer who's actually rehired after being terminated for using the N-word. Um, he was fired. He was, you know, part of Tampa Police Department. He's actually fired early this year after being caught saying the N-word. Uh, and like I say, he's back on the job. His name is Delvin White. Uh, he worked as a school resource officer at Middleton High School and was allegedly captured on his body camera using the slur on two occasions and was fired by uh, police chief uh, Brian Dungan. Uh, this was according to the New York Post. The eight-year department vet d- uh, reportedly called a student the N-word while he was arresting him. So he used it against a student, which is, you know, bad, you know, within itself. Uh, the cop White also reported using the N-word when referring to himself, uh, which is crazy. I don't know why you do that. As well as when speaking in general about students at his high school while on the phone with his wife. Um you know, he, you know, the, the black officer also told, you know, a superior officer that he doesn't use the N word in a derogatory manner, but said he was commonly used in today's society as a means of shared culture and experience among the African American community. Says it's not about racism. This is about professionalism. Uh, officer White isn't playing golf with his frat brothers. He's not playing poker. He's wearing the uniform of a Tampa police officer and is speaking uh, to a student in that way. And that was coming from the police chief. So, uh, Devin, you know, I, I don't I don't ever see the N word as like a term of like endearment of a shared culture or experience or anything like that. Um, I I think no matter who's saying it, it's always a derogatory term. I mean, it. That's that's what it's based on. I don't you know, you don't I get how a lot of, you know, rap culture and pop culture uses it. And it's, you know, used It's you know, I, I, you know, I hear it a lot of times from people, but I just it's not something that we should be using. And I'm glad that Tampa did fire him. I don't know why they rehired him, though. That's, you know, silly to you know do that. But um, hopefully he learned his lesson. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know if he learned a lesson. I mean, he does have a point. It is something that's used in black culture, but there's a time and place for everything. And I don't think, you know, being a school resource officer is where you should use that kind of, you know, slurs. And and it is a slur. I mean, I try not to use it, but I do use it occasionally, but not at like work. Even if I was talking to somebody, uh, you know, who's black, especially somebody younger than me that's a kid. No, that's just time and place for everything. So just not that was not it <laughs> on that one. Um, so our next story here, I'm going to go up to Washington and we're going to be talking about the Capitol Police. And so I'm sure you all remember the the insurrection that happened on January 6th, where we are still dealing with the consequences of that. And so now we have the U.S. Capitol Police officers who were attacked and beaten during that riot have now filed a lawsuit against former President Donald Trump, 
his allies and members of far right extremist groups. And they were accusing them of intentionally sending a violent mob on January 6th to disrupt the congressional certification of the election. This was announced on Thursday. And so this suit in federal court in Washington alleges that Trump worked with white supremacists, violent extremist groups, campaigns and campaign supporters to violate the Ku Klux Klan Act and commit acts of domestic terrorism in an unlawful effort to stay in power. And so this uh, was this suit was filed on behalf of seven officers. And so, again, like it names, you know, former President Trump, the Trump campaign. It names Roger Stone. And it also names members of the extremist group, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers also. And so um, we'll keep you updated as far as that's going. There are two other cases that have uh, similar to this that were filed in recent months by Democratic members of Congress. And so we'll let you know where all these suits end up eventually. Uh, But it looks like, you know, Capitol Police officers trying to fight back a little bit here and trying to get some justice of their own uh, through the court system. Rightfully so, um, because they 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 deserve it. Because that was a terrible day, uh, and they you know they, they suffered there. So I, I hope they get their day in court there. Um, on to some other news. This is out of the Supreme Court, the High Court of the land. Uh, the Supreme Court's conservative majority is allowing evictions to resume across the United States, blocking the Biden administration from enforcing a temporary ban that is put in place because of the coronavirus. The court's action ends protections for roughly 3.5 million people in the United States who said they have faced eviction the next two months, according to the Census Bureau data from early August. On evictions, President Biden acknowledged the length uh, headwinds, the new moratorium, which likely encounter. But Biden said that even with doubts about what the court would do, it was worth a try because it would at least buy a few weeks of time for the distribution of more than $46.5 billion in rental assistance Congress has approved. The Treasury Department said Wednesday that the pace of distribution has increased and nearly a million households have been helped. But only about 11 percent of the money, just over five billion, has been distributed by state and local governments. The new moratorium temporarily halted evictions in counties with substantially and high levels of virus transmission and would cover areas where 90 percent of the U.S. population lives. So, um, Devin, I I think we're finally catching up to um, uh, to the mess, I guess, that we've created with um, prolonging the evictions. I think we talked about this. I don't remember how long ago, but we talked about the fact that whenever, you know, uh, whenever the bill does come due for people to pay their rent, uh, it's going to be bad. Um, you know, it's, you know, it, it's going to be a lot. It's like me thinking about, you know, my spectrum bill because they, uh, my phone bill, they gave us a grace period starting back in like, think like December or January or whatever. So it hadn't paid it for the past like eight months. I'm looking at the bill. I'm just like, man, how am I going to be able to pay this? Um, you know, because I've let it go for eight months or whatever. And it's the same thing with people filling with rent. So, I mean, I understand where people are coming from with saying, Hey, I need more help. I need more help with rent. But I just hope, you know, 11%, that's not a whole lot of money that they've distributed out of this program. So I just hope that whatever, you know, federal, local, state government's doing, you know, to not make this money be distributed, I hope they can just pick up the pace because that's what it seems like needs to happen if only 11 percent has been distributed. Yeah, that's something I don't, I don't really don't understand what's the hold up here. Um, you know, I mean, they got more money out to businesses with the PPP loans that went <laughs> yeah. lightning fast. We figured that out in record time. We got the money out. We got it in their hands. 
But as you can see, 11 percent is is ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, but like you say, I mean, I understand it, though. Landlords got to you got to get the money. You got to start making some kind of money. And, you know, it's I've heard a couple people say this, but if you couldn't pay rent, you know, two, three months ago, what makes you think you're going to be able to pay it now? And so we can just con- we can continue to put up, you know, put this moratorium on there. But at a certain point, folks are going to have to pay rent and kind of get back to normal. Um, and so you just do you want to bite the bullet now or later? That's that's your choice. <laughs> you want to pay a lower amount or a bigger amount, basically. Exactly. Either way, you're going to have to pay rent at some point, and it's going to be an astronomical number. <laughs> you may end up getting evicted, but it's just an ugly truth of of where we are. We've been doing this for well over a year now. Um, it was going to come time. So <laughs> I think it is time. Plenty of jobs out there uh, for folks who are if if that's the reason you haven't paid rent is because you're just not working. Um, it's it's time to get back out there. <laughs> hey, eventually, people are going to be like the black agenda. Sounds like the Republicans telling people to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. Look, <laughs> there's a limit to everything. Okay, I think we've been very gracious over the last year and a half. I I would you know, agree with you completely. Three think- stimulus checks. <laughs> we got child tax credits payments going out. Unemployment payments. Like we we have gotten what we wanted, um, <laughs> for the most part. So sorry. Yeah. That that yeah. So anyway, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and end our segment. Last One last story here. Uh, we'll leave you with a little bit of black girl magic. Uh, but two years ago, uh, Chamiria Moncrief, who is an Alabama native, broke the news that she was launching a prepaid wireless carrier called Tessix Wireless Network. Shortly after that news broke, the wireless carrier quickly garnered the attention of various news outlets, and the announcement kind of went viral. But not long after the company launched, a Black Enterprise article reported the company's surprising valuation of $5.9 million. It turns out that uh, Chamiria was offered $4.4 million for her wireless carrier before she officially launched and received $1.5 million in investments. And she actually turned down that sell offer. So over the course of three years, uh, Chamiria, who is only 26, has been building both of her companies and it's on her journey to make them household names. And so she recently opened her headquarters in Alabama and is continuing to develop her team. So look out in the future. You may be a subscriber to Tessix uh, Wireless Network. So make sure you look out for that. So with that, we're going to go ahead and take our second break and we'll come back with some more news for you. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So uh, we're getting back into some news. We're going to come go back up to Washington here and talk about President Joe Biden. Uh, It has been a heck of a month, last two months, a heck of a week and a terrible day that happened yesterday. Um, And so President Joe Biden, like I say, he's having a bad month. His poll numbers have slipped to the lowest point of his presidency. And much of it has to do with COVID. And of course, this just ridiculous withdrawal we're trying to get through uh, in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan. And so 
Uh, the withdrawal is is maybe you know winding down, but that just the fact that the chaos that happened and unfolded, and now the fact that we've lost U.S. troops um, has really shaken the voters of the country and his and they've shaken their faith in the president to bring competence and steady back to the White House after four years of Donald Trump. And so Americans across the political spectrum um, are, you know, horrified of what they're watching at the Kabul airport. And so right now, or at least right now, when this was taken, this was taken before these troops were killed actually on Friday or on Thursday rather, but the president began the month with an average job approval rating of about 51 and a half percent, which was down from 54% at the start of May by Tuesday of this past week, Biden's approval rating had fallen to 47%, which is the lowest so far in his presidency. Um, And I can imagine after losing 13 U.S. troops uh, in Afghanistan during this evacuation, it's probably going to go lower than 47%. Uh, So, man, just like I say, tough week for Joe Biden. Uh, But hopefully if we can get out of Afghanistan without losing anyone else, maybe this will rebound as we go into 2022. But that remains to be seen. Yeah, hopefully he uh, bounces back from it. Um, definitely with the midterms, uh, he needs to get out there and rally for a lot of uh, uh, Democrats. So we need him to be his strongest. Uh, another story here, uh, and this is going to be out of Kentucky, uh, going down uh, south here. Uh, GOP lawmaker has found himself in hot water this week after his social media posts comparing vaccine mandates to Nazi Holocaust uh, it sparked a lot of outrage, obviously. Um, Wednesday evening, Representative Thomas Massey, like I said, Republican out of Kentucky, reportedly removed the offensive post, which featured a meme that insinuated vaccine passports were eerie similar to the identification tattoos prisoners in concentration camps were forced to have etched into their flesh. If you have to carry a card on you to gain access to a restaurant, venue, uh, event into your country, then it's no longer a free country, the Post read. Not surprisingly, several political leaders, activists, followers were stunned by the public post and slammed the GOP representative for what he had perceived to be fear-mongering. Um, yeah, Devin, I definitely, that's crazy. Um, you know, I, I think we're at the point, especially since uh, I think J&J got their, um, their uh, FDA approval, um, a lot of businesses have started to say, hey, you know, you can't come in unless you're vaccinated, show your vaccine cards. Um, I mean, we're at that point now. So I don't know why this person, you know, this congressman is is, is still doing this. I mean, uh, a vaccine card should just be something that we should just, should just have just to show people that, you know, you've been vaccinated. And it's definitely nothing like the Holocaust. That was a horrible time. So uh, it's crazy a lot of, you know, how people try to compare that or slavery or something like, you know, that to the, you know, masking or vaccines. Desperate for attention. Um, I don't know, Mr. Massey. I mean, he's already a congressman. What more attention do you need? <laughs> you know, like, why do you need to? I don't understand people's fascination. Why? Well, I get it in some respects, but I don't understand the fascination to want to compare current day events to the worst atrocities that have ever happened on the, on the face of the planet, which is the Holocaust. And the other one was slavery here in America. Like, why do we need to compare stuff that's happening to us currently? You cannot tell me that what's happening right now is even remotely close to the Holocaust. So it's just fear mongering attention, you know, just baiting people 
just stirring the pot and he should resign. I saw their story that he may he, they're pushing him to resign. I think he should. You know, it's just we got to draw a line somewhere, folks. This is just it's getting out of hand um, with this. And so we'll move from one GOP representative to another hopeful GOP candidate <laughs> uh, who is Herschel Walker here, former football player, NFL player. Um, but he has now Herschel Walker has officially filed paperwork to run for this to run for the uh, Senate as a Republican in the state of Georgia. So Team Herschel Inc. was established on Tuesday with the Federal Election Commission and Walker and his and his team will now be able to start start raising money for the 2022 Senate race to vie for the seat that is currently held by uh, Reverend Raphael uh, Warnock. He's currently the senator. Remember him and John Ossoff were voted in during a special election last year. And so uh, Herschel Walker is currently, he's a, he's a Texas resident, which is, this is really funny how this is working out, but he is, a, he's really actually a Texas resident, but he registered to vote in the state of Georgia on August 17th. So a little over a week ago, um, he, and this is according to the Atlanta journal constitution, he listed his residence as a home in Buckhead, which is owned by his wife, Julie Blanchard. And so uh, this Georgia Senate seat is expected to be one of the most hotly contested races of the 2022 elections. Uh, there are several other Republicans that have entered the race, including Gary, ba- Gary Black, who is Georgia's uh, state uh, agriculture commissioner. So we'll let you know how that goes. But Herschel Walker looks like he's going to be officially running for that Senate seat. And he has the backing of former President Trump. So this is going to be a test for Trump to see if he really has the political clout to get some people elected. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I I hope uh, Devin, his clout kind of deteriorates a little bit by the time we get to 2022 and do the midterms. Uh, But we'll see. We'll definitely um, keep you in the loop on that, listeners. Um, this is an interesting story, Devin, out of California. When I saw this, I was like, we got to talk about this because this, um, you know, especially talking about the war on drugs, this really fits what we're, you know, what we've been talking about all week. Um, this is out of California, my uh, former home state, uh, maybe hopeful you know, future home state, who knows? Uh, frustrated by out of control increases in drug overdose deaths, California leaders are trying something radical. They want to be the first state to pay people to stay sober. The federal government actually has been doing this for years with military veterans, and research shows it is one of the most effective ways to get people to stop using drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine, stimulants for which there are no pharmaceutical treatments available. It works like this. People earn small incentives or payments for every negative drug test over a period of time. Most people who complete the treatment without any positive test can earn a few hundred dollars. They usually get the money on a gift card. It's called contingency management, and Governor Gavin Newsom has asked the federal government for permission to use tax dollars to pay for it through Medicaid, the joint state and federal health insurance program for the poor and disabled that covers nearly 14 million people in California. So, Devin, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I was, you know, thinking, you know, whenever, you know, th- whenever I think back to our episode with Amy Fedick of the Sentencing Project, um, and thinking about, you know, uh, Germany and Portugal and how progressive they are with drug policy. Um, I think this is something that could be added to the table. It's like, you know, hey, let's pay people to not, you know, be uh, drug users. To, you know, let's, you know, there's different ways to incentivize, you know, 
um, behavior amongst people. I mean, there's a whole sect of, of economics called behavior economics, and um, you, you got to figure out different ways to do it. And I think that this is a great way. So uh, I hope that they're able to, you know, progress this program more. And I hope we can see it more throughout other states. No, I think that's a great, great idea. I mean, and the government's been doing it for uh, quite some time and they've gotten good results out of it. I mean, look, we have to find different ways of dealing with, you know, this, this drug problem that we have in the country. Um, we can't simply just lock people up and send them away. We got to find other ways of, like to say, incentivizing them, paying them money, you know, to, to stay clean. So I'm all for it, you know, finding different ways outside of the correctional system to get people to stay off of drugs. And so, again, we'll keep you updated on that story and see if it actually gets passed. Um, but our next uh, story here, talking a little bit about COVID, a, a sad story. We're keeping an eye on it. Uh, but over the weekend, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson and his wife ended up in the hospital and they've both been diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, right now, uh, Reverend, Jack Reverend Jesse Jackson has been transferred to a rehabilitation facility after spending almost a week in the hospital being treated for COVID. Um, his son, Jonathan, said this in a statement on Friday. Um, uh, Jesse Jackson's wife, uh, Jacqueline, who was also hospitalized with COVID last week, has been moved to the intensive care unit. And so uh, if you didn't know, Jesse Jackson is, is 79 um, and he was transferred from Chicago's Northwestern Memorial Hospital to the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, where he will immediately begin therapy to treat his Parkinson's disease. Um, he was diagnosed with the degenerative nervous system disorder in 2015. And this condition, his son says, has has come more in focus as his as his COVID system symptoms have dissipated. And so just to wrap it up here, his wife, Jacqueline Jackson, who is 77, she was hospitalized with her husband on August 23rd, uh, and she has been moved to the ICU. Her son said she's not on a ventilator, but she is receiving oxygen treatments to help her breathe on her own. And so uh, Reverend Jackson is fully vaccinated, vaccinated against COVID-19, uh, but his wife has not received any doses due to a pre-existing condition. So, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to both of them. Hopefully they push through this and, and can come out on the other side. Okay. Uh, but definitely, you know, your heart goes out, folks. COVID is real. COVID is real. And it's a lot of people who are suffering about this. So just do your part. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, do your part. Get vaccinated. Uh, wear your masks. Uh, we're, we're a community. Um, just to wrap up this segment here. Uh, a little bit of more COVID stuff. Uh, the official Twitter account for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, published a really, really interesting message on Twitter. It said, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. And it's just basically uh, following up a plea from the Mississippi's top doctor, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, who issued a plea saying to stop treating COVID-19 with horse medication intended to treat worms. And this just goes forward with Mississippi's tragic play of the virus, because as we know it, you know, the Mississippi is, you know, the highest COVID-19 infection rate uh, due to per capita. Uh, hospitals have been overwhelmed. 
uh, and people aren't getting vaccinated in Mississippi. So, you know, don't try to treat it with horse uh, horse medication. Just go get vaccinated in Mississippi. Um, just go get vaccinated. That's easy. Um, listeners, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap this segment up and we're going to come back with our quick hits. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So we always like to end the show with some quick hits, which is some funny interesting sometimes odd news that we end up getting on the show uh so our first story here is going to come out of uh, michigan i don't know if you may remember if you've been listening to us for a while you may remember we did a story some months ago about a gentleman in michigan who was suing his parents because they destroyed his porn stash but now that story has come to a conclusion and a judge has actually ordered his parents to pay him $30,000 to get because they got rid of his pornography collection. So U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney's decision this week came after eight months after David Working, who's 43, won a lawsuit against his parents. And so he said they had no right to throw out his collection of films, magazines and other items. Uh, Working had lived at their Grand Haven home for 10 months after a divorce before moving haha, to Muncie, Indiana. And so the judge followed the value set by an expert. Um, and so this was reported by MLive.com. And so working's parents must also, also pay $14,500 to their son's attorney. So that story has come to an expensive conclusion. Uh, so they should have just left this stuff alone. Now they're in a hole for about $45,000 to their own son. So crazy story out of Michigan. Yeah, that is very crazy. I'll have to, um, I'll I'll have to hit up, um, um, David and and try to get a story while I'm here in months to get my MBA. Um, another story that's interesting out of, uh, Michigan is about a truck hauling, uh, beehives that crashed uh, on the Northern Michigan roadway, unleashing bee swarms. Uh, looks like they, uh, had about 50 million bees on the truck. Um, fortunately, 50 million bees did not get unleashed listeners, but they had 50 million bees on the truck. Um, they had them in bee boxes. And when they came off the truck, only so many bees came out. The bees that were still in the boxes, fortunately, local firefighters actually sprayed water on the boxes to keep them cool in the heat. Um, as beekeepers came on the scene to kind of help get them back, uh, get them loaded up. Um, it was estimated that several hundred thousand bees never made it back into the box. So there were hundreds of thousand bees swarming the area, but they were able to place a lot of the bees back onto the, uh, onto the trailers and get them out. Um, no residents were stung, but some beekeepers actually were stung during the collection and loading process of the bees. So, uh, interesting story, Devin. Um, I guess if you're hauling precious, hauling precious cargo like 50 million bees, um, you probably should, you know, take more consideration during turns and stops and everything else. Yeah. What a funny story. Uh, interesting. So, Next up, we'll have North Carolina. So if you play the lottery, 
I don't know if anybody actually does this, but if you go out and you you're a couple and you buy tickets, some people apparently buy the same ticket. They'll use the same numbers uh, on two different tickets. And so apparently it worked out for a couple in North Carolina where they're not actually going to be able to split a million dollar lottery jackpot. And so this sudden windfall, the pair say, well, they will definitely put it to good use. And so uh, the North Carolina education lottery says that Luther Cannon bought two tickets for Sunday's cash five jackpot at a convenience store in Rocky Mount. He punched his numbers and gave one of the tickets to his wife, Constance. And so when they saw his his numbers had won a nine hundred and ninety seven thousand four hundred dollar jackpot, uh, Constance Cannon says she started crying, rightly so. And the uh, Nash County couple went to Raleigh earlier this week to claim their prize. So after taxes, they both got about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars apiece, uh, which is going to that can change a life for a lot of people. And so yeah, you, there you go. I mean, if you go and you buy your tickets, maybe buy two just to be sure to, you know, <laughs> I guess you can double the winnings or something. Yeah, I guess it never hurts to, uh, you know, uh, double your chances of winning some money. Uh, I saw where somebody, you know, had become a millionaire um, in some state because of getting vaccinated because there was a couple states giving out millions of dollars for that. So I'm like, man, um, lottery, getting vaccinated, a lot of ways to become millionaires now. Um, this is a story uh, for people who like science, I guess, but I thought it was pretty cool just because, you know, it's something different. Uh, a team led by Egyptian scientists have dug up a 43-million-year-old fossil in the Sahara Desert in Egypt of a now-extinct four-legged whale. The authors of the study say that the creature had unique features from the skull and that its mandible suggests a capacity for much more efficient oral mechanism processing. The new whale is called, I'm not even going to try to say it, uh, some Latin word, uh, Anubis, which the scientists named in part after Anubis, which I hopefully people know uh, Egyptian mythology, but that's the canine head Egyptian god associated with mummification and uh, the afterlife. It was likely a top predator at the time, similar to that of a killer whale today. Wells, it turns out, were actually herbivores, deer-like terrestrial mammals, the scientists write. After the span of about 10 million years, wells turned in carnivores. Uh, and this is kind of, I guess, made available through evolution. And the discovery of the four-legged whale kind of helps to perpetuate that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, Devin. I, I can't imagine seeing uh, a whale with legs just because I, I, I see how big they are now. Uh, and I think, you know, some whales sleep, you know, you know, vertically. And I'm just like, they're such interesting creatures. Um, can't imagine them actually, you know, being as big as they are and having legs. Just, I mean, just, that's, that's crazy. Just saying it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> sounds like you've been high smoking too much. Um, <laughs> just, hey, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I'm just trying to just say it and it just, uh, it sounds crazy. But I mean, apparently at some point, whales used to walk the earth. So, um, but <laughs> going from <laughs> whales to uh, dead bodies rolling out of mortuary vans, um, going to Atlanta. So this kind of reminded me of something I would see out of like Grand Theft Auto or something. Um, but apparently, according to this report, a dead body rolled out of a stolen mortuary van as an Atlanta man sped away from a uh, crematory, crematory parking lot on Wednesday, and he led police on a chase through Georgia. His name is uh, Kijon Griffin. 
He's 23 and he actually remains on the loose and is wanted for several felonies. And this is according to the Conyers Police Department. So what happened is when, when Griffin actually stole the mortuary van to escape, uh, a body on a gurney rolled out the open back hatch and into the parking lot where it came to rest. And personnel on site were able to sa- to safely secure the body. Uh, but Stan H- Henderson, who's the owner of the van, uh, and Stan Henderson and Sons Mortuary in Stockbridge, told Fox 5 Atlanta that, quote, it's ridiculous that the van, the it's ridiculous that the dead can't even rest, end quote. Uh, so like I say, Mr. Griffin, Kajan Griffin, who actually stole the van, is actually still on loose and police are searching for him. So it sounds like it's not a funny story, but it just was kind of ridiculous. Um, just letting you know that people out there are stealing mortuary vans and bodies are rolling out of them. Um, so just a lot of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good story. And, and, I, and I guess if that's not enough funny for our listeners out there, Devin, hopefully my last quick hit will liven up the mood. Uh, I, I mean, I like Steve Harvey. So, you know, if, if he's listening or if anybody from his team is listening, you know, we still like Steve. This is just a funny story. Um, ABC has tapped Steve Harvey to helm a new courtroom comedy reality series that will uh, be on TV and, you know, you know, he'll be the TV personality that's going to deliver verdicts on various cases, uh, including minor claims, major disputes, and of course, family feuds. Uh, the, <laughs> the network announced this on Thursday that the 10 episode primetime program and development on the working title, Judge Steve Harvey, <laughs> will premiere next, uh, year. And sorry, listeners, I'm laughing just because it's just, it's just funny to think that he's going to be doing this. But, uh, during each hour long installment, the Family Feud host will draw on his own life experience and some good old common sense to settle a range of conflicts between roommates, friends, siblings, neighbors, co-workers, and more. As of Thursday, casting is officially underway for the reality, for the reality show, which is looking for individuals with humor, heart, and passion to plead their case. Hopefuls must be at least 18 and reside in the United States to apply on the casting website. So if you've got some drama and you're over 18 and you live in the country, I mean, you can be on Judge Steve Harvey. Um, in addition to assuming his new role as Chief Justice of ABC, <laughs> Harvey will also continue to MC the network's Family Feud franchise, including the popular spinoff Celebrity Family Feud. Uh, really, sorry, just funny stuff listening, you know, or rather reading this because you know Steve's got his show. He's you know got a you know radio show. He's you know done a lot of stuff, and it's. I guess it's only fitting, Devin, that he might as well become, you know, some judge at this point. Pretty much. I mean, Steve <laughs> is, is, he's got the title of hardest working man in show business at this point. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he seems to be everywhere. <laughs> so now he wants to play, uh, play judge, you know, judge Joe Brown, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I, I wish they would have resurrected a judge Joe Brown. Or, you know, a Judge Mathis, or even heck, I would take Judge Judy. She's pretty funny too. Um, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> from from ABC. I guess they're, you know, running out they're of reaching. ideas over there. A little bit. <laughs> need to need to get with the creative team, come up with something new. 
that doesn't include Steve Harvey. No disrespect to Steve, but Steve is everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's you like, know one thing, Devin. I realized, and I guess it's going back to you know the fact that fifty-seven percent of America is white. You know, white folks love Steve Harvey. Yeah, that's one person they. Hold, <laughs> yeah, even after you messed up the Miss Universe stuff, man, we forgot about that real quick. <laughs> they love Steve Harvey. Yes, they can't get enough of him. Apparently, so um, we'll go ahead and take our last break, and when we come back, we'll. Wrap up the show, let you know what's upcoming and uh, what you need to look out for. So make sure you stick around with us. We'll take our last break and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you uh, in the show with give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So first up, our next regularly scheduled episode, I hope I'm saying it right, but our next uh, regular episode will be coming out on Tuesday, August 31st. Uh, it's the last day of the month, and we will end it by talking about prison reform. And so we've talked about marijuana policy or marijuana in general, the history of it in the country. We've talked about the war on drugs, and now we're ending our kind of uh, spiel here with uh, the criminal justice system with talking about prison reform. And so we all know America locks up more people than any other nation on earth. And it's about time we actually change that. And so our guest for this episode will be Mr. Khalil A. Cumberbatch from the Council on Criminal Justice. He, had, he talked with us for a very long time and it was an excellent conversation. So make sure you stick around and listen to that again. That's coming to you on Tuesday, August 31st. And then after that episode, of course, we'll be back with you next Saturday, uh, September 4th, to bring you more news from the past week. Um, Again, weekly roundup number 12 will bring you all the breaking news, interesting news, funny news, even some odd news. You know, we try to bring it all to you in a nice, neat package. Uh, So make sure you tune in on Saturday, September 4th. And before you get out of here, we appreciate it. We love it when you support us by listening and downloading our podcast, but there actually are some other ways that you can help us out uh, that include maybe your debit card or some cash. And so Adrian's going to let you know uh, how you can help us out. Absolutely, listeners. Definitely make sure you download us and stuff like that. But the other thing you can do is go to our website and click on Black, excuse me, go to our website, blackagendapod.com and click on donate. Um, from there, you'll see that you can become a monthly patron. Give a dollar, two, three, four, five. It's just a monthly recurring uh, payment there. Um, what you're really doing when you do that, you not only let Dev and I know that what we're doing is important and that you care about the messages that we're putting out, but you also believe in the fact that we're trying to do something here. You believe in the fact that we're wanting to create an organization that actually has movement, momentum to actually transform the communities and lobby our leaders to actually get some of the change that we're discussing with our leaders and amongst you know ourselves. Uh, get that change out to our actual, you know, our local community. So, uh, like I said, go to our website, blackagendapie.com, uh, click on that donate tab, start giving and look at it like you're giving to the movement to really change our community. 
Uh, the other thing we like to do is highlight a charity of the month. For the month of August, we have been talking about Choose 180. Choose 180 transforms the lives of youth and young adults by partnering with institutional leaders, connecting them with community, empowering them with choice, and teaching them the skills necessary to avoid engagement with the criminal legal system. Choose 180 envisions a future where youthful behavior is decriminalized and young people offer restorative practice in lieu of traditional prosecution. In place of the school-to-prison pipeline, a community will exist to help young people realize their potential and provide them with the tools necessary to achieve their goals. So really, really awesome organization for sure, Devin. Most definitely. So make sure you check out both blackagendapod.com, but also choose 180. Both are great organizations. Um, So uh, before we go, we always like to let you know that you can Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod. So make sure you go and like our pages, follow us, and then of course, round it out by sharing our content. It's good stuff, so make sure you share it. We're trying to grow this thing here. You can also find us on YouTube. So we do have a YouTube channel. Uh, just search the Black Agenda Podcast, and you'll find uh, conversations about uh, critical race theory. We have a an HBCU awareness series that we did back in March, which is excellent. Nine HBCU presidents are on the show. We recorded them, hour-long interviews. Go listen. Some really, really good things in there. Um, and then just, you know, some episodes about Black history, some some really interesting conversations. So make sure you go back and check out our catalog. And so uh, for me and Adrian, again, we appreciate you sticking with us. We'll be back with you next Saturday, September 4th, for more news and events or more news and breaking news, rather. And so, again, we appreciate you listening to us, and we'll catch you next time.